The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to another very special edition of the Data Reaper podcast. I am your host, Ridiculous Hats, and joined as always by Zacho. How you doing, Hat? But where's my nickname? There's no... You didn't think about anything. I didn't think about You're it. You're too nervous. I'm too... Not nervous. Because Alec is excited. here. Excited. I'm too excited thinking about our guest, Alec Dawson, senior game designer for Hearthstone. Alec, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah. How are y'all doing today? Doing okay. It's, uh, I am making the active choice of closing Twitter while we're talking to you so I don't get distracted by shiny new cards because <laughs> it seems to be just popping off out there. You printed <laughs> a Murloc Altruist. <laughs> Yeah, that card's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but we're not really here to talk to you about the specifics of Baron's cards, even though we could do that all day. Uh, we we have a have our time with you, and we want to talk about design like we always do. So thanks so much for coming on. We'll just jump right into it. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you so much for coming to the show again, Alec. We really appreciate it. I'm really excited to talk to you again about Hearthstone, I feel like we can talk uh, forever, but our time is short, so I'll get right to the nitty-gritty. Um, so in preparation to this podcast, I actually went back and looked at our reports for this expansion, and honestly, I, I forgot what happened at the beginning, because like Highlander Hunter and Soul Demon Hunter were really good back then, and mm-hmm. it feels mm-hmm. like forever ago. It feels like between all the balance changes that we've had and the mini set as well, and, and new discoveries, new natural discoveries. It felt like Dark Moon Fair had like four different metas, and and right up up until the end, uh, things were still kind of fresh. Um, and towards the end of the expansion, we've had Master Store Iron Forge. And looking at that field, I was so impressed with how diverse the competitive field was. Like the most popular deck. In, in Iron Forge was Highlander Priest and had a pick rate of like 60%, which is like for a top pick, that's a very low number. So obviously there were things, obviously there were things that went a little bit awry during this expansion, but through most of this expansion, I felt a lot of interesting dynamics and a, a lot of interesting new decks and interesting developments. So from your perspective, how did you see Darkmoon Fair play out? And, and what did you like about the expansion? And what did you not like maybe about the expansion? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think one of the first things that we thought was really good about this expansion up, up until release uh, for Forge and the Barons is the diversity. Yeah, there's, there's so much of it. And I think that's really great where a bunch of the classes can come in and have a viable deck that's going to perform pretty well on the ladder. I, I think that's this is probably actually one of the most diverse metas we've ever had. And I think that's really great, you know, from our standpoint, like, okay, if you want to go on and you want to play, you know, whether it be Priest or Warlock or Mage, you have a deck that you can latch onto. That's really important for us when you're coming to the game. You know, if that's one of your favorite classes, there's something that's viable there, you know? Um, so that, that's really great. I think also you kind of hit on it, just the natural ebbs and flows of the meta itself, you know? There was a lot of uh, changes that weren't so much directly influenced. I mean, obviously we had the mini set come out later, but and we did some balance changes. But things like you know World Kick Road coming up, uh, that that definitely was okay. You have a deck like Soul, Soul Fragment Demon Hunter, which 
had such a strong representation in the men and was performing quite well. And then to see something like World Kick Rogue prop up a you know a card from Saviors of Old Doom that's finally got its chance to shine. I thought that was really cool. Uh, Ogre Mancer, I believe you talked about that last week, but having that card sort of have its own time in the meta as well and be able to influence it in such a strong way, I think that was pretty surprising to us. And but also at the same time, that's why it's there. That's the reason, and that's inclusion in Skullman's Academy. So there's definitely a lot, lot to like there. I think Dark Moon Racing is having a strong impact. I think some of the balance changes we made and being able to keep those decks viable was really important to us. You know, you look at Soul Demon Hunter and yeah, balanced quite a bit, you know? Like, there's a bunch of cards there that, that saw nerfs and you can still play that deck and you still feel good about it. You still feel good about its play patterns. So I think that's pretty important for us. On the On the flip side, I think there's definitely... You know, stuff that we want to see more of, though, right? I think the Old Gods in particular being one of the biggest things about Darkmoon Fair. You know, we're bringing back these Old Gods and they're corrupting the Fair and all. And that's one of the big flavor hits. We definitely want to see them, you know, a bit more in the meta, have them see more play. And, and I think for us, it's about not being as shy about some of our anti-aggro options. And you look at a card like Armor Vendor. I think that was a card towards the end of it, like, oh, it's four armor or three armor, but we definitely don't want to be as shy about that anymore. You know, I think we want to make sure that, that there's presence of those options for you if, you know, aggro is something that you want to target. Um, and then, you know, hitting a little bit uh, on being a bit more uh, retrospective on some of the balance changes themselves, I think there was some good stuff there. Uh, I also believe there's definitely some things we've changed our mind about a little bit when. You know, we make some balance changes to decks that we view as having really healthy gameplay patterns, like Soul Demon Hunter or Highlander Hunter. And then some of the other decks that crept up maybe didn't have as healthy gameplay patterns, right? And in particular, like Evolve Shaman, when, when that was, you know, the king of the meta for its, for its few weeks there. The way, cool. yeah. the way that you approach balance changes now is definitely a lighter touch. I remember looking back also at some of the ashes balance changes and remember uh blood sworn and blood boiled brute were just such n- light nudges but they mattered like they weren't irrelevant mm-hmm. but didn't mean you didn't get to play the deck anymore yeah that's that's something that's been on our mind all year right i think you start with those warrior changes as you yeah. pointed out we want to make sure that that that's the that's the way we go your deck isn't going to be destroyed overnight right yeah and soul demon hunter and highlander hunter even though they got nerfed they're still fine right now like soul demon hunter is actually quite good right now so uh, yeah, these changes uh, did not kill those decks, even though their play rate right now is very low. Yeah, and uh, and you're may or may not still be making nerfs all the way up to 20.0, all the way up until the last possible day, which is uh, also not something that usually happens, but Darkmoon Fair has been uh, fair and balanced. Huh? Huh? <laughs> yeah, and you know, with that, I think uh, I communicated that, but... Uh... There was definitely some things that we wanted to touch a little bit earlier, but 20 being such a big expansion coming up, right? We yeah. pushed out a little bit. You're doing also get everything. ready for that week of standard where all those things get reverted. That's gonna be a it's gonna be pretty crazy for sure. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm making sure my toxic reinforcements are ready. I am making sure of that. <laughs> yeah. Um but also we look back at what you've all been trying to keep standard interesting in the middle of an expansion. And you tried Rise of the Mechs, and you tried Doom in the Tombs, you tried Galakron's Awakening, and then we're like, alright, we're gonna take a minute here and see what works. And then you 
uh, you all made Dark Moon Races and the idea of mini sets. And I think it's it was really awesome to see how just a pile of free new cards or not. I mean, not free a pile of new cards uh, that was easy to obtain and impactful, but not crazy because we've run that risk as well with adventures in the distant past where the small cards need to be good. So they end up being really, really powerful. Um, that wasn't really what happened here. Darkman Races had some good cards, but it felt like it injected some good diversity into the meta. Uh, what did you think of the implementation? Did you like it? Do you think there are things you would change? Yeah, for us, it's really about the process of you know creating these mini sets. It's something that we, this year, are really starting to get the hang of. I would say with Galakron's Awakening and Darkman Races, that was something that, were, that came a bit later into the set's development, right? Um, so I think that being said, they, they still had a you know, great presence in, in that way. I, I think, though, for us, it's when that's the case, you you tend to get more of a collection of cool cards, right? I think that's where cards like uh, Key, Ward, and Ivory come from. It doesn't really necessarily play off of some of the themes that were in the previous expansion, but as a standalone card, it's really fun and interesting, right? I, I think as we get more comfortable with that development cadence and you know, creating these mini sets, It'll probably be more of a continuation of the previous set in sense of it plays off even more strongly into the archetypes that we were just touching on or some of the mechanics and, you know, really taking that next step there. Uh, so for us, the process, we're really starting to get the hang of it. And uh, for this this year, I'm excited about a bunch of the, the mini sets coming out. Yeah. And this first one definitely felt like the greatest hits album of the year. And you had a little bit of the keyword mm-hmm. soup like with the uh, with. Uh, imprisoned phoenix it's dormant and it's dual class it's both at the same time <laughs> yeah so was the set ever considered used uh, being used as like a balancing tool was it dynamic in response to how the meta was developing or was there any plan to use it to push classes or was it just these are some cool cards that are were kind of ran over from all the other expansions and we think they're good and they fit yeah i i think we do get the opportunity you know pretty close to make some balance changes so we evaluate how the classes are performing on the ladder and see if there's anything that we can do in the mini set itself to you know, help push certain things. Uh, I, I think the the question of we're we using the mini sets to you know help round out some of those archetypes. Yes, in some way, I, I think you know for some cards it's harder to do that. It's harder to push some cards and in, into viability just because of some gameplay reasons. But for us, there was cards that definitely saw some balance changes. You know, pretty close to the end there. Arbor Up being one where we knew, hey, Sour George going out, Arbor Up can come in and be a bit stronger. Uh, it was originally plus one, plus one, right? Move that to plus two, plus one. Now it has a different role that's sort of satisfying and filling that's going to be missing in the, in the next year and gives that deck you know, a little piece that may be looking for. Uh, in Prison Phoenix actually went through a bunch of balance changes. At one point, it was it was a 4-4. Four, four. Uh, it came all the way down to 2-2, two, two, but you know we ended up going back to 2-3 because we thought that was a good position for it where this card could make an impact and help out those spell damage decks that didn't have that consistency that you know, they were looking for throughout the year, right? So when we see the, those opportunities, we definitely take them. And it's really nice to be able to evaluate once things are you know, out there in the wild uh, in terms of after release for Darkman Fair. I, I actually really like the fact that you buffed Arbor up just before uh, releasing it because that card really rejuvenated the uh, Druid and uh, it helped Gibberling Druid come up and Highland the Druid suddenly had a- another finisher so that card I think served a really good role in the meta 
Uh, and, and again, with Savage Roar, as you said, uh, rotating out, it, it just makes sense to have it a little bit more powerful. I really like uh, that, that kind of decision. So, yeah, that's that's really cool to, to hear that you actually look at what how classes do at the beginning of the expansion and it affects your decision-making later on. Um, yeah, so that's great. And we also, there is a subject that I, I was really interested in uh, that kind of came from things that developed this expansion. Uh, we kind of have a chance to see two different kind of cards, tech cards, impact the meta in in a significant way. There was, uh, when Evolve Shaman became very dominant, we had Kobold Sticky Finger really showing up and was so strong against Evolve Shaman and so important because that deck was so powerful that it started being played by like literally every deck. Even Evolve Shaman started running it for the mirror and to yoink back the box spine knuckles that the opponent yoinked uh, initially from it. So <laughs> a card like Sticky Finger is very similar to like Hungry Crab, right? It's very strong in a specific matchup, and it can like win you the game on on the spot sometimes. Uh, and these cards can definitely like the presence of Sticky Finger definitely maybe helped curb a little bit the win rate of Volshaman and its utter dominance. But you know, there's an argument, and I kind of agree with that. That if you know, if this, if a card like if a deck needs to be balanced around this kind of card, then there's probably a, a problem here because. What these cards kind of do is they lower player agency and matchups become uh, really about whether you drew them or not. And, and a really good example that I often bring up is like Elusia. You know, a lot of people say, oh, uh, Elusia is like a skill testing card. You need to make decisions on when to play it and such. But like in the matchup between like Highlander Priest and Lifesteal Demon Hunter, which are decks that I think we can all agree are pretty skill testing. They're pretty difficult to play. And, you know, you can ask any pro about the specific matchup between them. And they will tell you this is one of the most binary matchups just because of Lucia, because she's such a hard tack against combo decks where you just yoink the pieces out. And then we had another development later on with Ogremancer. And Ogremancer is not really a hard tech card. It's more of a card that's powerful in certain situations. And it kind of lent itself uh, to being powerful in that specific meta where you had Agro Rogue, which really didn't focus on the board much, but had a lot of spells and really wanted to go phase. And it suddenly had to deal with the seven health thing that it kind of couldn't ignore. It was also very good against Druid. So it kind of led to this natural progression of the meta where you had this one card that elevated a few decks, the Highlander decks especially, um, into stronger position. And that kind of created a new dynamics that, that were really interesting. Obviously, there's a problem with... It's, it's not more of a problem, but it's more difficult for these cards to gain traction because they're easier... Uh, they're more difficult to discover and, and figure out because their their strength is more subtle, right? It's not a low-hanging fruit where I have, like, if a player runs into something that it keeps losing to and it wants an answer to that, it's more dif- difficult to figure out you want to run Ogremancer than an Ooze, right? Um, so what do you think about these kind of tech cards? Do you think that hard techs have a place in the game? Like, I have a little bit of an extreme opinion where I think, I think it's okay that hard techs are available to players, but if they ever become really prominent to the point where they just decide matchups, it's indicative of a problem. Whatever they're targeting probably needs to be nerfed. So what is your perspective here? Yeah, I think your evaluation's uh, pretty on point there, actually. I think for us, when we're looking at you know, hard techs versus soft techs, you know, they both have their positives. Uh, the first one, you know, with being a hard tech, it's like, okay, the player goes on the ladder, they experience something they don't like, and this card says very loudly, 
do you not like something? I can help you with that, right? If you don't like secrets, you can go and you can put Eater of Secrets into your deck. And there you go. You play that card and you feel really satisfied about its inclusion because when you come across that thing again, if you do, uh, it's going to get rid of all the secrets. It's going to get rid of that thing that you don't like to play against. And you feel pretty happy about that as a player. So not only is it, you know, loud in its presence in your collection, but also when you play in your deck, you're like, this is why I included this card. Um, I think there are some, like, like Kobosiki Finger that may be extreme on that side as well. I think uh, when we look at hard techs, if their population density is, like, too high, uh, if they're being included in too many decks, uh, th- that does indicate, you know, perhaps a problem for us. A lot of times we think of them as, like, breaking case of emergency, right? And is that an emergency of actually objective things or just player perception, right? Because a lot of players can perceive as, like, oh, man, secrets are so strong, right? Uh, but that might not actually be the case for them on the ladder. And then they perceive that. And then, but at the same time, that thing's available. Uh, softer techs, on the other hand, you know, don't really do the same sort of thing. They might help your win rate. It might help you, you know, beat that deck. But you know, you play a, a card that doesn't necessarily get rid of all the secrets. Um, and you're like, hmm, was this really the inclusion I was looking for? But those are the cards we actually enjoy making quite a bit. I think uh, one of the new cards we revealed already. Board Operative is pretty interesting design in that sense, where it's, you know, it helps you against secret decks, right? And you, you get to copy their secrets and put them into play, and that's really interesting. Um, but if you're looking for that other thing, it doesn't necessarily satisfy that role that either secrets may do, right? But at the same time, you know, it's going to be something that does help your win rate against secret decks if they become a bit more prevalent in the meta. So it's a balancing act of, you know, providing those options to players and also, you know, I think creating the softer options that do achieve the win rate things that we're looking for, you know, in, in, in our own data. I think the one thing for us is it's just important to be, to act quickly. You know, I think with Sticky Finger and Evolve Shaman, it's just important for us if that does become some sort of situation again like that, we'll just step in a bit, you know, quick, quickly and like we did with that as well. To, to shift tracks a bit, I want to talk about Hunter and Shaman because these classes didn't see a lot of play but also weren't and aren't like currently at this moment are not bad or not low win rate. Um, but they seem to have a lower play rate, at least from our vantage point with the data that we have access to. Uh, do you think that like, cause you made some pretty notable nerfs to them and box my knuckles in particular. I mean, that nerf had to be made and then evolve shaman it dramatically changed. Uh, but Hunter was, well, Dino Tamer brand was kind of class defining and archetype defining for a while. Uh, you know, it was around for a year and a half. What are you going to do? Do you think that? Do you think that these classes didn't see play because people were bored of them? Do you think that, or maybe they are seeing play at levels that were that we don't have data for? What do you think is going on here? No, I think uh, Hunter's probably the biggest learning point for us from this year, uh, and especially the nerf to Dino Tamer Brand. Uh, looking back, just to state it, looking back on it, we would not have nerfed Dino Tamer Brand. Just straight up, I, I think. Uh, one of the things that we learned there was, hey, if you have a deck that is low population, but strong, and has healthy gameplay patterns, I think we're just going to be okay there. And, and that was the case with Dantumer Brand. I, I think we were in a situation where we were probably trying to be too correct, you know, with, with some of our nerfs, right? And we're looking at, hey, Soul Demon Hunter, and then this thing, and then not going the full extent to then 
Rogue snuck up on us a little bit with roll kick Rogue at the end there. And then Shaman, you know, probably needed to hit that as well in that whole round of nerfs. But I think if we went back on it, we might just say, okay, we're not going to nerf Hunter. And then we'll see how that situation unfolds. Um, because if there's a deck, you know, that players aren't necessarily playing a ton of, you know, how much are those proactive nerfs really getting us? It's just, if it's affecting such a small population, is it really worth being correct in that sense? Right? I think that's the question we're asking ourselves. And if suddenly, you know, a deck like that, like even Paladin or Highlander Hunter, you know, players start playing a ton of it, uh, is that, then we'll see something else, right? But I don't think that would have been the case. I actually really don't think that would have been the case. I don't think Highlander Hunter ever would have got to a 20% play rate, even if it was, you know, necessarily the best deck in the meta. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting uh, point because... Um... When Highlander Hunter, just before it was nerfed, it was like it was one of the best performing decks, uh, even at higher levels of play. Yet its play rate, like a top legend, was like six percent. So it's a deck that you know pro players, high level players, never really picked up on that much, uh, even when it was powerful. So it's an interesting question whether you, in that situation, just leave it with this high win rate and say, hey, it's okay as long as it's not like super popular. Um, yeah, so that's actually interesting. Um, so because because once once it was nerfed, it was kind of like, okay, so now people are really not going to play it. The only, yeah. And then you yeah. kind of <laughs> yeah, the people who, who were playing it or no one are playing it. It's not like anyone else. Like yeah, it was a very small population. Every week I'm writing in a report. I'm learning like, hey, Island Hunter. It's actually it's not bad. It's okay. It's it has a positive win rate. And uh, you know the entire pro scene just looks at me and says, yeah, well, yeah, okay, Zach. <laughs> The spin and, we can take as well on. is they were letting people dust their Dino Tamer brands one expansion before it rotated. Just like, you had your fun, now here's your money back. You can have it. And then everyone dusted their brands, so no one was going to play Highlander Hunter anymore, even though it was totally fine. Yeah, it, 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 it'll, it will be a different... Uh, I think we'll approach that differently in the future, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's hard to tell with... A card like Lorekeeper Polkelt was kind of everywhere in a bunch of different ways, and so I, I don't know if that was considered part of the hunter nerf there but generally it seemed like it was a card that was meant for cool combo setups and then was being used for aggressive strategies and i'm glad that got a little nudge but yeah the voracious reader and the brand i think would have been interesting to see what they look like if they stayed the same it's an interesting uh, question uh it's a philosophical question too like if a deck is, has like a 60 percent win rate but a play rate of like half a percent is it a problem is it actually a problem like if no one knows Right? I, I would say if it's a, not. If a tree, I, I think we would it, say it's yeah, not. Yeah, I agree. If a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it, did it actually fall? If a tree falls in the woods and it doesn't arbor up, then does it kill your opponent? <laughs> <laughs> really, really cool um, uh, to know uh, your your perspective on this and and things that you might be doing in the future as well uh, as a learning experience, and it's 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 fantastic. Um, a subject that, like, obviously we're really happy about is that the new core set was revealed. And, you know, we've been banging on about this in the podcast, too. We even asked you in the previous podcast when you came over about the classic. What are you going to do with classic? And this is what you guys did. And we're just so... I, I can't overstate how important we think this decision is, both me and Hat. Like, we think this is massive for the game. Like, and it helps in, in so many aspects, new player experience all-player experience, boomer player experience like me as well. and But there were like a few inter interesting things that we saw once we looked at the core set uh, and, and the decisions that may have been like behind some of the cards that were included and not included. 
So there were a few things that I really noticed. One is that there's very little card draw. Like, ways to gain card advantage, there are very few ways to do that uh, with the core set. There's some cycle, there's some one-for-one discovers, right? One card, you spend a card and you discover a card, but there's not... There's no card draw engines, almost none. Like you see, like Spectral Sight and Arcane Intellect. That's pretty much it. Sprint is not a really a card that's often used. Um, direct damage spells, things that go face and kill you, um, were reduced. Not completely removed. You still have like Fireball and Lightning Bolt, but you, you see like cards like Lava Pearls cut, cutting away from Shaman and Mage doesn't have Frost Bolt. And so, and and alongside that, you also had other cards that kill you, like Savage Roar and Bloodlust, that also were uh, removed. And then late game finishers are also not that prevalent. They've never been prevalent in the classic set. You have Jaraxxus that was buffed. That was a really cool buff, I thought. And uh, the dragon aspect, they're kind of the late game of the core set. Obviously, they're going to be outclassed by expansion cards most of the time. So we speculated about this in the previous podcast about why what made you come to these decisions regarding the emissions and stuff. But can you can you go through like your team's perspective perspective about why you did this uh, whether this was intentional and what were the reasons behind it yeah i guess we'll start on sort of the damage aspect and uh, you know i talked a little bit earlier about um savage roar savage roar being gone from corset you know so what does that allow us to do it allows us to make cards like arbor up a bit stronger uh, allows us to create more of these different a slightly different variant unlike the finisher that you've been seeing for so long I think it's important to always have variety in how matches end. Uh, you know, <laughs> some of these cards have been around for for a very long time, and like having matches end like that, you know, throughout the course of Hearthstone, I think eventually you want to switch that up. You you want to like spice up a little bit, give you something that has a different twist on it. And and, and you know, on Mage and on Rogue, they will have direct damage in Forge and the Barons. Uh, it's something that even might even be a little on the nose, but they will have replacements for those cards and there'll be like a slightly different twist to how that you know direct damage may look for the next two years for both of those classes and we just want to we want to be able to do that we want to be able to have inclusions where okay it's not going to be eviscerate every time this ending the match it's going to be something slightly different and, and i think that's important for us it's important for us and not only in terms of design space uh for making new cards of that variety but also just for your match experience when you're going through and you know, what you're expecting and how new does an expansion feel at that point. Uh, you also asked about card draw. Uh, there will definitely be card draw upcoming expansions. I think uh, one thing that, you know, looking back on that classic identity block from a long time ago, I think one thing that we definitely shifted our philosophy on was it's not really about cards that, uh, classes that don't draw any cards versus classes that do draw cards. It's more about now it's about classes that draw a ton versus classes that draw slightly less. Right, so Rogue is a class that draws a bunch of cards, um, but a class like Shaman may not draw a lot of cards. But you're definitely going to see card draw and expansions coming up. Right, you're going to see more of the variety of hey, you're going to draw a weapon from your deck. We thought that was a card that we knew was going to make an impact, and we wanted to push it a little bit. So, so we did. Right, you're going to see cards like that um, that are built around in a sense, but you'll definitely have some card draw in the expansions for those classes like shaman and uh hunter will have their own variant of that and paladin will have a little bit too so it's something that's not going away we just want to have it in expansions that has different twists add a bit more variety for it okay cool i'm looking forward to seeing card draw it's actually the thing that i'm most excited for every time i see a new card is this card draw i ask (laughs) card draw (laughs) we don't want to be too scared of it it's good it's a you know it's a card game you should be able to play with the cards in your deck right so 
It's bold, bold idea. But also, <laughs> I love that you're trying a bunch of different ways to draw cars. Like Barack Cotobane is interesting and like kind of huntery, but different and weird. We're not going to talk about new cars. We could do that all day. I love that car. That's all. Yes. Move yes. on. I love cool that car. car. Yes. Um, and a metric that has come up a lot for for y'all that I think is leading into just how finishers are are being made. Game length, I think, is a more important metric than a lot of players realized. Um, and, uh, well, all you had to do was watch Master Tour Ironforge. That first match, priest-on-priest priest action, I think uh, it makes sense the team is looking to move a little bit away from that. Move away from card generation as a win condition and uh, decks that are kind of finisher light, so to speak. Uh, and you just talked about drawing finishers. Do you expect that players will immediately feel this change in design philosophy with Barons? It's it's an interesting question. I, I don't think it'll necessarily be immediately felt. I think there's definitely still some things uh, from the previous year that are intact. Uh, you know, they're going to be around for a little bit in terms of some of the generation. Uh, we are definitely lessening that as we move forward. And we're not going to put all the finishers in one, in one set, right? So there's going to be some finishers throughout the year. Uh, but I think a good way to look at it is already looking at Mage, right? You see something like Mordor's Fire Eye, which uh, those of you who haven't seen it, it's a card that if you deal 10 damage to your hero power um, on, on the battle cry, it deals 10 damage to all enemies. It's like, that's the type of finisher that we're going to be you know, pushing nowadays rather than something like Janelai, right? Janelai, you go through and then you, you get Ragnaros and Ragnaros isn't really as strong as dealing 10 damage to the entire board, right? So there, there will definitely be a bit more power focus in some of those late game threats and, you know, what's the definition of a 10 mana card? Um so I think this year, uh, that's definitely still one of our focuses is, you know, lessening some of the multi-generation that we've seen in the past with cards like uh, Galakron for Priests and things of that nature. Uh, but I think over time, you will also see finishers. If you're building into an archetype, you're going to see a way that your archetype in particular is going to end the match. Yes. Do you, do you agree that uh, I personally think that... Um, Finishers, it's not just the presence of finishers, it's also the balance between card draw and generation. Because mm -hmm. generation leads to grindier matchups, where you just try to outvalue, but whatever you generate doesn't necessarily further your game plan perfectly. While draw means you're more likely to find your finishers, so I think that increasing draw also increases lethality. Because if you have more draw, you're more likely to draw your finisher. It's, it's a basic concept. So I think that if you increase card draw, that also leads to shorter games. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I still think there's a balance to it on our end. I think uh, a lot of times there's this there's this test that you can do, right? And where, where we look, you know, we're just playing a match, and I think for one thing, it's just like you look at your opponent's hand, and you're like, where do they get all these cards? You know, we still want to make sure that that's that's something that is like a bit tempered, uh, where you're uh, it doesn't feel like you're always running up. I think like Priest had some of those feelings from this previous year. Where sometimes against in some of those Priest games, you could feel like, well, do they ever just run out of cards, right? Um, but definitely card drawing you know, gets, you, gets you to your finishers because you're lethality. Uh, it's still important for us, though, to make sure it doesn't feel like the opponent is, you know, always on their entire deck. I think something that, you know, looking at Rogue right now, maybe that's too much, right? And that's something we're going to be evaluating in the future as well is what's that balance of, okay, is my opponent always playing full hand of cards and always has all their threats at their disposal versus, you know, one-to-one -one or a bit slow or a bit more tempered, right? Yeah, makes makes total sense. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a good step to just add lethality and and like uh, 
even give control decks an ability to just end games, just kill the opponent, mm-hmm. uh, and not have like this Highlander priest mirror noodle fight where they slap each other uh, gently with their with their minions uh, while heal- healing and emoting. So I do like that that kind of direction. That where visual. We... Okay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, uh, but of course, you know, it's not always, uh, you know. Uh, roses it's not all rosy when you when you decide okay let's do a late game finishers because obviously it, it, there's a challenge with that and one of the challenges when you're trying to introduce more finishers to the format is that uh it's hard to it's harder to balance late game win conditions at least from my perspective as a as an, a very amateur uh, uh backseat game designer uh is like they're more difficult to predict. Like if you if you print a bunch of aggressive cards, you can kind of envision how the aggressive deck will play out and curve out. But sometimes uh, late game win conditions can surprise you. Sometimes you you envision like a, a win condition for a control deck, and uh, then uh, an expansion launches, and suddenly it's a combo deck that just draws and just gets that finisher online as quickly as possible, and and that can can get you off guard, like catch you off guard in terms of where you when you wanted that finisher to appear. Like how how quickly that finisher came in, and a lot of uh, problems we've seen in the past is that when late game win conditions became too fast. Like a really good example is like Quest Rogue. You often see that in Wild when like the late game comes in too fast, where like a, job, a board of giants, the Naga Sea Witch and such, comes in on turn six and the game just ends. Like they're essentially late game decks that try to aspire to a power spike, but that power spike comes in too fast for everything else. And what happens is that these win conditions can potentially push other things out. So you design uh, uh, one finisher for this class, another finisher for this class, but you an expansion launches and the you know win condition B ended up being four turns slower. And win condition A was really powerful and just completely pushed out win condition B and just it's not played. So there are a lot of challenges that come in with that. And I was curious to know, like, are there any more, like, what, what other factors do you think about when you think about, hey, let's design some finishers or ways to kill the opponent? What do you take into consideration when designing these, uh, these and balancing these win conditions? Because it has to be very challenging. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a challenging thing, especially, like, when you're looking at waking finishers versus, like, combo pieces, right? And how much telegraphing is going on. Um, when it comes to the waking finishers, I think, for us, you know, how out of nowhere does it feel? You know, is there an appropriate response I can have? If I see something coming, it feels a lot better than knowing, it's like, where did that come from? I think Cthulhu is like the most extreme example of that, where, you know, over time you're building up to Cthulhu or over time you're playing these spells to for the new Cthulhu and you know that that's coming and there's an impending doom there, but you also know, hey, I could maybe prepare myself for this too. Um, and, and I think that's very important. When we look at some of the more, you know, when cons we've created lately, some you know we want them to be big and you know have this flashy effect. But at the same time, we want you to be able to respond or at least see that they're coming. I think I mentioned Mordress earlier, but it's like you're playing Mordress Fire Eye in your Hero Power deck. You're going to see some other Hero Power cards that might start keying you in on. Okay, this thing might be coming later, or or maybe the opponent's going out of their way to spend their Hero Power a bit more, um, being slightly less efficient with some of their mana. And then some of the other ones, I think, uh, you know, when we look at what we don't want it to be too grindy. And I think like I think our new variant of like a grindy finisher is probably Rattlegore, where it's a little grindy. But at the same time, it's going to hit you in the face for, you know, nine or eight or seven every turn. Right. So it's going to be something you really got to get rid of immediately or it is just going to end the game. Uh, that's for probably our best example right now of some where those 
slightly more control-oriented finishers might be rather than the ones that are looking to close out the match immediately, right? Yeah, that sounds cool. I like hitting face with Rattle Gore. Yeah. And we won't be bloodsworning it anymore, so it won't be three Rattle Gores. <laughs> yes. I also stand that, that, that's by great. that. I love when you get three Rattle Gores. It's, it, I'm not saying that I'm not enjoying it. I'm saying I'm glad Matt that I won't have to enjoy it for another fun. year. He doesn't like to have fun. Matt does not like fun. <laughs> okay, three nine nines is fun, or three nine eights, rather. But it's I'm disappointed that the Rattle Gore sounds don't pitch shift as they get smaller. You, you know, you know, we actually talked about that. Uh, <laughs> we think it's one of those things the development had takes some time, but, the, you know, it was on the list. It was on the list yeah. how have the three three rattle gore sound like a little gremlin <laughs> right yes yeah would, that would have been cool would be quite good would be quite good yeah. yes yeah but we're not going to spend developer and engineering hours on that i suppose it's at least maybe not now future patch we'll hope for it in a future patch uh alec thank you so much for taking the time to tune into us uh being you know taking away from your busy schedule of being one of the faces of Blizzard, your Twitter account, I think, has been the hub of news for the past week and a half or so with the reversions and puzzles. There was a really good meme, I think, uh, Ben Harst on Twitter. Yes. Oh. <laughs> with the, uh, yeah, yeah. With no aggregators, just yeah. twitter.com slash GW underscore. I think it's for, for us, it's just important. You know, we've been just trying to communicate as much as possible. Um, so I think that there's been a pretty big effort from the team on that sense. And I'm glad, you know, I guess the community is responding in a good way. So I absolutely love the fact that, that you guys are just showing up on Twitter and posting updates. Yeah. Beyond oh, yeah. just the blogs, just being able to communicate with you just on Twitter, uh, like that kind of accessibility is something that really is appreciated and uh, i hope that you continue with it and 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 that the community responds in kind and and you know like it's very easy to take advantage of it as a community and and you know do bad things as well and interact poorly with designers but i'm just hoping that it encourages the community to interact with you guys in a positive way that you always feel good about going on twitter and talking to to fans of the game yeah definitely well alec thank you so much for coming on um where can people find you they're looking for more Hearthstone news. <laughs> Are we plugging stuff here, Hat? Is that what we're doing? Okay, yeah. Um, on, That's what we do at the end of the episode. I am, I am on Twitter, uh, GW underscore Alec. And yeah, you can find me there. And, you know, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure you know, talking to you all and getting into the depths of the meta, you know? So thank you for doing your show and thank you for having me today. Thank you and you're welcome back anytime. And welcome back. This is the second half after that amazing Alec interview. I'm still Ridiculous Hat. I am joined by uh, Chief Grand Justice Seeker, Zacho. How you doing? Okay, that was better, Hat. How you doing, Hat? I'm doing all right. How are you? That was such a good interview. That was a really good interview. I want to go back and listen to it again because there was just it's so dense with information. Yeah, this interview was, uh, was I, I don't know, I felt like it was going really well i i really appreciate the, the the candor of alec i really appreciate the candor of alec sharing uh these kind of details about the, their their perspective uh as game developers throughout this expansion and yeah i think that the the future is bright uh based on you know their willingness to change things their willingness to to adjust things and, and change their thinking and 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 
look back and, and have self-reflection and say, hey, we could have done this maybe better or we could have done that better. To me, that's, that's a really good sign. And the game has changed so much since back in the day. Um, and the, the original developers had a different approach to balancing. But I think about the amount of transparency and frequency of change that we got. And I think back to Spirit Claw Shaman and six months with Spirit Claws. And like, the game is almost unrecognizable in terms of balance philosophy in a really positive way, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, and also um, just this expansion, like it felt like I had experienced like four different expansion. Like, yeah, the expansion where Evolve Shaman was really dominant wasn't that fun, <laughs> but it didn't last too long, right? So it's never uh, when something bad happens, it's ne- it never like takes too long to like rot and just kind of ruin the experience too much. The 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 most recent shaman weapon drama, which Alec alluded to, they would have nerfed faster and they should have nerfed faster. But like, how long did we have box by knuckles the way it was? Three weeks, and we were like, this is forever. We had spirit class for six yeah. months. We're like, we're also we've become so spoiled where it's like now they're like they they fix it after like three weeks, and he's saying, oh, we could have done it faster. We should have done it faster. It's like, yeah, yeah, we should have done it faster. Like it's a natural thing. Like it's almost like. Do you remember when Undertaker was a card for six months? Had like it's just so different, and yeah, I think for a game that is like it's a mature game versus a new game, you have to balance it differently. If you change too much too fast, then you lose your core audience and you never get to build it. But now they're not catering to new players; they're catering to experienced players. Things have to be different. And we look at someone like Alec, who just sat down with us and, and talked to us. They they make the game. Alec was a player well before he was a developer of this game, not of other games, of this one. You can't get there without building a strong foundation from people like Ben Brode, who is really great as a builder, but maybe the skills aren't, aren't as aligned with maintenance. And you can kind of tell, you can tell that he's very passionate about the game because he loved the game. He started playing it as a fan. He was a Hearthstone fan, and he uh, realized his dream of becoming a Hearthstone developer, which is incredible. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, the, the way that the game has matured, but you, you said that now they're catering to more experienced players, but it's also they're catering better to new players now because I think the game is becoming more accessible, especially with the core set launch and the fact that you don't have to collect an entire classic set just to get a start. I think that's a massive deal. Also, the fact that they changed uh, um, the Tavern Pass, a lot of things in the Tavern Pass, they've improved it uh, in order to make not just it feel better, also you get more... Uh, bang for your buck and your time and your investment so i really appreciate the fact that they have feedbacks and they just have twitter accounts where you can just tag them and they'll answer you and you get uh, uh, such um openness uh from the developments is really good to see and as i said towards the end of the interview i'm really hoping that the community um uses it as a positive and responds back in kind uh to the developers desire to be communicative and because sometimes, you know, game developers, they have, uh, they suffer from a lot of toxicity. And that also drives them away from interacting with, with, with players. And that makes total sense, right? So uh, I'm hoping that this kind of interaction uh, becomes the, the rule rather than the exception. Yeah, as long as we can maintain positive connection with them. Um, and so far, it seems like everyone involved is on the same team. And beyond just the game being more free-to-play accessible it's kind of hard to understate how impactful Battlegrounds was at giving people a free reason to open the client that continues to be great. And now it's just going to be so much easier to convert those people of, you know what else is free? Hey, have a core set. Hey, have some packs. 
hey, have all the all this other stuff. Had had do you remember where we had nothing to do but ladder and now it, we're just oozing out of our ears new formats are just coming out of our ears like we can't play them all now? There are more formats that I don't have time for than there are formats yeah, that I, I just, play. And in the past it was standard wild arena tavern brawl. That was it. And now they're at the point where they have to redesign the main menu, which is coming soon when they make a new mode, to fit everything. It's crazy. It's such a dramatic change. Uh, really, Ben Lee has been transformatively impactful to Hearthstone and uh, the team underneath that has grown, as well as with the Finding Lightning in a Bottle a Second Time with Battlegrounds. It's all been... It makes it very easy to be positive about the direction that Hearthstone is going in. And I think that we're both uh, really, really excited for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah, let's. So we have the second part of the podcast, and we we decided to do like the second part just to to talk about the new expansion because there's a new expansion at, and there's some cards, and we're not gonna go over card by card. It's gonna take ages. We're not gonna do that, but we wanna we do wanna talk about like our initial impressions and some of the cards that we you know we can highlight as things that oh this could be very interesting. This could lead to an interesting direction for a class. So maybe we should we should we should do that. Because, yeah. yeah, this expansion looks cool. It looks cool. It's definitely a little different from the expansions we're losing, I think, is a good thing. Uh, but also, it's going to be hard to tell. Um, before we get into that, just real quick, we're done with reports for this meta. And honestly, Zach, the one you wrote for this week looked kind of difficult to get through. Looked kind of tricky to find the enthusiasm to talk about the same decks over and over again. Even though the meta is diverse and balanced and, question, you know, you can say healthy... It's not interesting anymore because we want the new stuff. Yeah, it's natural. When the new stuff is about to come, then there's less enthusiasm about what's happening. It's a natural process. It's not indicative that the meta is like uh, particularly bad or anything. It's just that there's an expectation of the new stuff coming that naturally uh, uh, makes you not want to invest too much of your time into what's currently happening. Uh, so yeah, we've done. We're done with reports. Regarding the next podcast, honestly, we don't have a good answer on when the next podcast is because we're going to go into content creation now and then build up to the new expansion. We have a core set preview, a comprehensive course set preview coming on Saturday, which is tomorrow when you're listening to this podcast. Um, going to be an interesting read. Uh, we go over all the what things change about each class and how they're positioned in terms of core set. Uh, and then we we're gonna have the next weekend. We're gonna have the Barons, the Forge of the Barons uh, comprehensive preview, which is you know the normal card preview that we do for every expansion, followed by everyone's favorite theory crafting article, just a day around the day before the expansion launch. So we're gonna do a lot of work there, and I'm gonna hold myself in my uh, office room in order to uh, be able to get all that thing done uh, with the team. Uh, so. That's going to be rough. I'm not sure we're going to be able to record a podcast before the expansion to talk about all of those uh, content pieces. But it's very likely that after the expansion launches that we will have a few days later uh, initial impressions podcast before the first report. So that there's a likelihood that this will happen. And uh, when it does, uh, check it out. It's going to be really cool to see what ends up happening in Forge of the Barons. We're going to try to find time between all of these articles that Zach is writing uh, to see if we have anything that we can put cogent words to that will add value to you. If we, if we can't find any way to add value in a podcast, then we won't do it. But if we can, we'll talk about it. But we definitely will talk 
as soon as we can after the expansion comes out to see what this new strange standard is like. Yeah, it's going to be the very strange and very new, the newest standard ever, right? <laughs> like, uh, new core set, everything is going to be so different. Uh, this is as impactful as the initial introduction of standard format. Yeah. Uh, I think you can say the removal of Gen and Baku along with the introduction of Rise of Shadows basically unnerfed half the cards in standard. Uh, so there was some change there, but yes, this will be even bigger than that, and that was substantial. Okay. So let's scroll through some cards. We are going to skim through cards. Card by card is awful, so we're not going to do it. Um, but we do just want to get a brief idea as to what direction class are going, if we can even divine it from what we see so far. It's still difficult. It's, it's still early. You look at the Demon Hunter cards. There's So Razorfin Beastmaster, 3 mana, 3-3, three, three, summon a Death Rattle minion from your hand that uh, costs 4 or less when it dies. It looks like a Hunter card. Everyone I've talked to is like, this is a Hunter card, right? No, Demon Hunter. It's It, it looks and feels like a Hunter card. And uh, it's kind of weird to me that this card is... But it's, kind of, it's the kind of card that makes you now think, oh, maybe I'm going to run eggs in my Demon Hunter. It's something that you've never considered before, but... Now it might be a thing or some other like high value death rattle. I don't know. This card is can potentially not see play at all or just elevate like a new archetype or like a sub archetype. Uh, or like when you look at uh, 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 Sigil Flame, which is a very interesting card. Like at the start of your next turn, for two mana, you deal three damage to all minions. So this is kind of like an imprisoned observer kind of card, right? Like it's not an immediate effect, but it it happens quicker than observer, and it's quite a like two mana for three damage is pretty good stalling card. It's a flame ward, right? Like it's a flame ward, except you have to play like. But it's an activated one. If your opponent is playing around flame ward correctly, they should function similarly. But also, they get to. They don't get to decide when and how to develop to because they don't decide when the flame ward goes off, but they get to be aware of it and play around it by with the information available. Yes, but I do think that this is better than flame ward because you're like with flame ward, you can attack, activate the flame ward, and develop here. You're just stuck, right? You cannot develop until I get to play again, right? Until it's my turn again. So I do think that this card could be very powerful early on as a stalling card. The question is the fit, right? What kind of deck is going to play this? Is Lifesteal Demon Hunter maybe could play this alongside Emulation Aura? Maybe. But this is one of the more interesting ones. There's also Sigil of Silence. They seem to do the Sigil thing. Uh, in World of Warcraft, these are like spells that activate after a period of time, right? In a delay. So it's very flavorful with what's happening in Hearthstone. So we'll see what those uh, kind of spells do, but they do seem feel like Almost like dormant spells, right? Yes. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Well, and these are based on WoW abilities for Vengeance Demon Hunter. There's Flame, Silence, Misery, and Chains. Uh, Chains is is crowd control. It brings everything into one place. I don't know exactly how they would express that. Uh, misery will probably be some kind of like attack reduction or something like that. It, it fears enemies. They stop attacking. Um, I wonder how they're going to translate them all, but I would expect to see all four of those. Maybe one of them will be in the mini set. But they're, it seems like they're sticking pretty close to WoW mechanics for most of this set. So I'd imagine that we'd see all four of them at some point. Yep. We also have a Druid set. And let me tell you this, Hat. Druid is spooky. The, <laughs> Druid these is cards spooky. are good, I think. They look pretty good. Okay, so Guff Rune Totem like, is for me, so far, the best card in the set. So far. Three mana, two, four. Okay? After you cast a nature spell, which, by the way, literally almost every druid spell is a nature spell. 
Give another friendly minion plus two plus two. This is a repetitive recurrent ability, not like one active or whatever. So you can just like I can see this kind of card being played in like almost any kind of druid deck. Like you play this in a faster druid deck, and ob- t- the impact of obvious, right? You play this alongside Gibberling, and you start chaining spells and buffing the Gibberling with spawning more of them. Like this sounds so gross like it's almost a questing adventure with charge right you need a minion in the board but it's like like it ramps up even faster has more stats more survivable but it can't hit itself right you're not running this out on turn three it can't hit itself so you have to have some other board development with it so i think it's going to be a little slower than it looks or players are just going to run it out on turn three and say do something you won't and it's a must clear Yes, but we have Lightning Bloom and we have Innervate. There's so many ways to cheat mana with this class. And like, like you, you play like a Crab Rider or like a Gidra with this. Yes, it's not going to be turn three all the time, but Questing Adventure isn't that particularly good on turn three very often. It's usually a mid game. And this is a card I see similar impact. And also, even in the late game, let's say you're playing a, like a slower Druid strategy. This card, with all the, the like nature studies and all the spells that change spells and, and cheap spells that all, often also cost zero mana, you can just use it as like a burst damage finisher. Like you can deal 10, 12 damage with this on a single turn if you have like a, a single uh, uh, minion sticking to the board. Uh, and like, I even thought about like, oh, what if we had Boris still? You could even do like OTK with Germination with this card. So you can't do that anymore. But even like Germination as a late game combo with this and Omu maybe could be something like there's so many possibilities with this card. For me, this card is nutty and watch out for it. Like for me, this is so far the highlight of this set. Um, again, like really Guff seems really busted. I am asking a question on Twitter right now. Uh, and we'll see if we get a uh, reply. Is Lightning Bloom a nature spell? It is. It is. I oh, think it is. It's oh, Lightning. No. It's Nightling. This is exactly what I mean. It's light. Like it's a nature spell. Like if Lightning Bolt is a nature spell, then Bloom is definitely a nature spell, which means trouble. And Innervate is also a nature spell. I'm telling you, this card is gonna be nuts. Uh, like what? Like it's yeah. nuts. It's questing adventure with charge. Like like if you have a mini on the board, right? Um. I think it's it's gonna be like insane. I, I could see like late game combos with this. I can see early game blowouts with this. This card has so much potential. Yeah. But there's another card that was revealed uh, and distra- may may have distracted you during, during the uh, uh, podcast interview with that we had with Alec, which is Razor Main Battle Guard. This card is a two mana two three. The first taunt minion you play each turn costs two less mana it's a two mana two three so this is almost it's not like a it's similar to mech warper right it's not static you can't just keep piling on but this is essentially a zero mana card whenever you play a taunt this is almost like a foxy fraud for taunts yes also by the way uh, lightning bloom is a nature spell it is right yeah confirmed okay so so uh i'm gonna craft guff rune to him if i don't open it Naturally, yeah. So, good answer, Celestal. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So this card could be like maybe like we start playing taunts and druid. There's also uh, Mark of the Spike Shell. Give a minion plus two plus two if it has taunt. Add a copy of it to your hand. And the other new legendary, the uh, Plague Mother Rotting, four minute three four. After a friendly minion with taunt dies, summon a new copy of it. Except it doesn't have taunt. 
Yeah, this could be like this could taunt be very annoying. Tempo taunt. Tempo taunt druid. That's what they're doing. Yeah. This is not the Hadronox deck. This is play taunts on curve. This is, it's yeah. I, I don't know if it's on curve because it's druid, but uh yeah, basically uh there could be some potential here. This could be very annoying like um maybe this is Graybo's time to shine at. A Graybow? Is a Graybow a clock? Imagine turn two battle guard and you play a, a sum two or less manaton. Turn three Graybow. Turn three. That's kind of disgusting. Or turn two battle guard coin bloom Graybow same turn because the battle guard does not have taunt, so it doesn't count for itself. You can play this in another minion the same turn. Yeah, this is a. Uh... This is definitely gross. So we're gonna see this, by the way, on the card reveal stream. This is the deck we're gonna see taunt druid on the stream for sure, hundred percent. Probably, probably. But but yeah, rune totem guff is like nutty, and this this is there are a lot of interesting things. I even thought about like copying it with spike shell. Anyway, we'll see what happens with druid. But to me, that set looks very impressive so far. Then we have hunter, and hat hunter got a card draw card. It draws cards. By the way, we're calling this Barack Kodobama. We're doing that. It's Barack Kodobama. <laughs> Barack Kodobama. Yes. So, 5 mana, 3, 5. 5 mana, 3, 5. Battle cry. Draw a 1, 2, and 3 cost spells. It it draws 3 spells of 1, 2, and 3 costs. Uh, this could be incredible. You think about tracking. Uh, I don't know. Lock and load, maybe. Uh, there are two many spells that it can use as well. Utilize one of them as Tame Beast, uh, that's introduced in this set. Uh, when you summon a rush, a two-two rush with Beast Tag, right? It upgrades at five mana. It becomes a four-four rush, and at ten mana, it becomes a six-six rush. So I think Barack Kodobane, you play this on five, and you draw three cards that fill up to a six-mana curve. That could be pretty good uh, in terms of improving Hunter's consistency and reload potential. But the card that, you know, probably is the most interesting one in Hunter is Tavish Stormpike. It's a 3-mana 2-5. After a friendly beast attacks, summon a beast from your deck that costs one less. So think about it like this. You play this on 5 with Tame Beast that's upgraded. That's a 4-mana four 4-4 four rush. That's the card's mana cost. So you attack with it, and then it summons a 3-mana beast. And maybe that 3-mana beast also has rush, and you attack with that. And then you summon a 2-mana beast with rush. And then you attack with that, and you summon a, the whatever is replacing Stone Dust Boar in the core set, which is a 1-mana rush beast. So you could have like a really big swing turn for Hunter in the mid-game through Stormpike. Um, that, for me, is the highlight of the Hunter set so far. That could be really cool. And we'll see. I, I just want to see more draw for Hunter, though. Yeah, draw is good. Uh, I like... Kodobane is, is definitely... a. It compares favorably to Cobalt Falcon. It feels a little weird in Hunter, but if this is the way that Hunter does card draw going forward, that's cool. A lot of these cards are just reasonable curve plays, like Colcar Pack Runner, where you just play it on two, and it's like, kill it, you won't. And it, also, sometimes you'll go Colcar Pack Runner, coin adorable infestation, and you'll... And that's, and that's really good. It's just a thing that'll happen sometimes, and that's really good. I really like the fact that they're introducing more cards that help Hunter's uh, comeback mechanics to the board if it falls behind. So Pack Runner is an example of that. Um, so uh, I'm excited about this. I just want to see more draw, and maybe Hunter could... like It, it definitely needs help. Its core set is not particularly strong, and it's we know what happened with its uh, Year of the Phoenix set. So it definitely needs help. Five more Hunter cards revealed. We'll see what happens then. Then we have Mage. We talked about um, 
Uh, Alex mentioned Alex mentioned uh, uh, Reckless Apprentice and Mord uh, yeah. Mordresh. Hero power uh, matter stuff like there's and pew, pew mage. There are definitely two epics that are unrevealed. One of those, I would bet, I would bet money that one of them is a hero power enabler. Um, there's definitely a little bit more support here, and I like that the hero power, <clears throat> and I like that the hero power interactions here are interactive. It's all like minion based stuff. We don't have arcane amplifier, but I think something like fallen hero is the direction they're looking to go in, as opposed to permanent hero power buffs or things you can't interact with. It looks like they're more going for play stuff that your opponent can mess with, and then if they don't mess with, then they get blasted with Reckless Apprentice into Mordrish. Pat, I think we need permanent hero buffs for this deck to be viable. So here's the, here's the reason why. Right? Like Mordrish, okay, it's kind of a finisher. It's a 10-mana 10 10-10 10 that deals 10 ma- damage to all enemies, but it's not really like a control killer, right? Like if you play that in a, in a slow matchup, yeah, it clears the board, but a 10 10 can be dealt with. There's probably going to be removal for it. It's not going to kill anyone. What I'm looking at, if I want to see like a hero power mage be viable, is a way to really ramp up uh, the ability to just pew pew them with your hero power and do repetitive damage, kind of like Hunter, in a way that ramps up, kind of like Shadow 4 maybe. Because if you don't have that, I feel like this deck will lack le- will actually still lack lethality. But if you can just keep pressing the button, that becomes kind of a pressure in the slower matchup, then that could be good. Maybe, you know, they've discussed in the past that they had the idea of having the hero power scale with spell damage. That will actually make a lot of sense with all the spell damage support that we've gotten so far. That's not permanent, but it can kind of stick to the board. If Lab Partner can buff the hero power then that becomes something more meaningful so i'll be interested in seeing something like that if again if there's some some inevitability through the hero power i can see this archetype has potential if not then i'm not really feeling it as much though reckless apprentice again like you have a way to just ramp that card up and just aoe the board really hard that card can be really powerful and then we have like seems to be another direction that they're doing with mage which is freezing you have the flurry card with the, like the rank file versions, like a zero mana spell. You should never underestimate zero mana spell. Freeze a random enemy minion, kind of a worse uh, f- freezing potion. That was a card. It wasn't good. It wasn't played. But on, on rank five, it freezes two random minions. And then you have Varden Dawn's Grasp. By the way, a non-binary character hat. It's. I like that it doesn't have to be exciting, but it's just a thing they're putting in the Hearthstone because sometimes people are non-binary. It's just a thing. It's just a thing in the game. Yep. We've been practicing our singular days here in the show, so we're just going to keep working on those. Yeah. Um, and it's a 4-mana 3-3. Three, 4-mana three. 3-3. Three, three. Uh, freeze all enemy minions. If uh, any are already frozen, deal 4 damage to them instead. Basically, Frost Nova on a stick with a bonus. For four mana and a three three, that seems like really powerful. It's a card that Mage Deck will probably be interested in, even if it doesn't trigger the damage. Um, seems good. And just to clarify exactly how it works, this is basically it casts Ice Lance on every enemy minion. So if one minion is frozen, they don't all take the damage. But it any minion that was frozen before you play Varden takes four, and any minion that was not only gets frozen does not take four. So. This card could be interesting, but I, I want to see. I, I'm not feeling like flurry. Like we lost Nova, obviously, and we lost Blizzard. I'm kind of interested in seeing more freezes because if it's just flurry, I'm not as excited about this. But regardless, Varden will probably see play just as a Frost Nova on a stick. I think that's powerful enough. Yeah, and we have six mage cards left to see. There are some key enablers that we are missing, and I wouldn't be surprised if we get to see a couple of them today. 
obviously, this is very, very early on. Uh, Paladin. Paladin, I think, is in a great position uh, going into this expansion. And it got some really powerful cards. One of the cards I'm looking forward to the most is uh, Cariel? Yeah, Rome? I, Cariel Rome. This card looks great because if the if the bonus text did not exist, it was just 4 mana, 4, 3, Rush Divine Shield, we would strongly consider playing it. Like, that's, that's a, uh, it's a good stat line. I don't think so, but the ability is so good because whenever this attacks, reduce the cost of holy spells in your hand by one. So this is essentially... All the Librams, by the way, are holy spells. So this is essentially another Librum Paladin enabler and uh, cost reduction. We know how that deck is reliant on cost reduction, so having another one of those cards is very good. But also, this card could enable, like, if you... Maybe you have a, a deck with a lot of one-mana spells, and you play this, and you reduce it everything to, to zero mana. We know what you can do with zero mana spells. So that's kind of exciting. And maybe that also works with uh, Veteran War Medic, which is a four-mana 3-5, essentially a Violet Teacher. But after you cast a Holy Spell, summon a 2-2 Medic with Lifesteal. So the... <laughs> The spawns are so much more powerful. They're also extremely powerful against aggressive decks. This card with Liberal Wisdom Hat? And also, you can play this card with Reckoning and Avenge, and the next turn, play both of them as zero mana secrets, and then play Cannon Master Smith, which is the other legendary, which turn it's living mana, but for secrets. Yep. Transform five mana, four, four. Battlecry, transform your secrets into three, three soldiers. They transform back to secrets when they die. So that feels like kind of an emerald uh, spellstone kind of card. Personally, I'm not too excited about this card. I'm mostly excited about Rome and War Medic. But this could be a thing. And then we have kind of a mini survival of the fittest uh, invigorating sermon, which uh, gives plus one, plus one to all minions in your hand deck and battlefield. It's a four mana spell, though. I'm not sure about this. This seems like an attrition kind of card. Could be interesting, but it doesn't buff dudes that you haven't summoned yet, so it doesn't buff future dudes. So in terms of dudage, not as excited about it, but we'll see. Again, Paladin has a lot of cards left to reveal, so we yeah, really don't know. Yeah, the fact that, that Sermon hits in play is really important, because cards that have been like this that haven't hit in play in the past have been pretty bad, unless they are really undercosted. See Kaliseth. Um But if we're, if we're expected to pay 4 mana for this card, it's not good enough, but I don't think we are expected to pay 4 mana for this. Probably, probably the purpose is to discount this uh, with, uh, you know, yeah, with the legendary and maybe other things. I don't know, but uh, yeah, and then priest, priest to me, uh, their set so far is really not fleshed out. Like you really can't really get a read on where that class is going. When you see the epics as the first revealed cards, like we don't know anything because epics are typically like super weird and and they need other cards to support them. Uh, like maybe priest of Anshi, which is the Five mana taunt, battle cry. If you restored health this turn, gain plus three, plus three. We kind of know what we're going with that because it's right next to Desperate Prayer on the reveal sheet where we reveal five, restore five health to each hero and then slam this thing. But that's not a deck, right? That's not a deck. No, it's but you thing. can run like you can run like your you have one mana heals uh, spells as well, and you have palm reading, so you could still enable this on curve through palm reading. Maybe uh, mana cost reductions with uh, a blood weaver. So I can see this card being activated on curve fairly consistently. It's pretty powerful when it does, so that's a pretty good defensive tool. Not sure in what kind of priest deck it goes in, but it's interesting nonetheless. And then we have hat. It's a it's a P elemental. We have a P elemental. Yeah. No, it's it's the official name is Golden Shower Elemental. 
The six mana, six, no, six taunt. Death it's Rattle not restore called eight shower hat. It's called light shower elemental. <laughs> it's not yeah, a that's golden what I said. shower. Yeah. It's not gold. First of all, I'm really hoping to get a golden a copy of this, but it's not. That's not the name. Like, okay, but it's it's an elemental made of P. <laughs> it's P. But anyway, it's a taunt six mana six six death rattle restore eight health uh, to all friendly characters. Basically, showers them with healing um, and other stuff. Um, this. A year ago, if they made this card, it would have been a Paladin card. I like they're moving this sort of thing to Priest, that they're just giving Priest minions, because minions are good. Yeah, this feels like a Hidden Oasis kind of card where, but the heal is delayed, so maybe it's not as powerful uh, as the Druid card, but it's a solid defensive body, so we'll see. But again, you really can't make anything. You definitely can't make anything out of what we've seen from Rogue so far. Honestly, other than Yoink and the fact that it's a Rogue card, not a Priest card, mm, that I, I really can't get a read. It feels like more like they're trying to want, uh, nerf one maker in Rogue rather than <laughs> build it towards the direction. That's what it feels like, but we've only seen three cards. So I think Rogue is a, kind of a skip. It's not super exciting. Oil Rig Ambusher, four mana, four, four, Battlecry, deal two damage. If this entered your hand, this turn, deal four instead. So it works with Secret Passage, but it's and an expensive step. card. It works with Shadow Step, so you can kind of deal more damage with it, but it's kind of clunky, in my opinion. Not too excited about this card. The, the Gormok stat line has historically been cool if it works, but probably doesn't, and this is not too far off from that. Um, I do think Paralytic Poison is interesting. The one mana spell, uh, give your weapon plus one attack, and your hero is immune while attacking. Um, I've seen some people have some strong reaction to this card, but if this is good, then Hearthstone is healthier. Because you wouldn't play this in current aggro rogue, because why would you ever hit a minion? Imagine hitting a minion. If you're playing this, exactly. that means that you're using a weapon for minion combat. And this is, this is Team 5 saying, please stop going face with self-sharpening sword. Please attack minions. And the player base will just say no and not play this card in response. This is my feeling about this. This card is better with like Assassin's Blade, right? Rather than a self sharpening sword. Like it, when you can just keep punching minions. But I'm not sure what kind of rogue deck does that, where it just equips a weapon and buffs it with like, you probably run this with Deadly Poison as well. Uh, maybe even a nerfed Nitro Boot Poison. I don't know. But Paralytic Poison doesn't feel like a card that, like, oh, okay, this is going to define a new archetype. Because Rogue can't really go into the late game. Even if it punches minions, it really needs to finish game. We're missing seven cards from this set. We're missing seven cards. This is meant to do something. We're missing both legendaries and epic and a bunch of other cards. Like it's possible they want to make a they want to make a, a control rogue again, a dirtle rogue again. But every time they tried, it's been we're jade we're rogue. basically like we don't need to keep repeating this. We're sifting through the darkness. We don't really know yeah. much. We're just initial impression of the cards. And and nothing more than that. We're probably going to change our minds about these cards a hundred times by the, the the end of these reveals. Shaman. All right, there. Brukan. I'm seeing two clear directions here. Brukan hat. Brukan's I want, good card. Okay, so we we talked about we talked to Alec about burn. He said that there will be burn. I want to see burn. <laughs> the hit's face and his nature, and I can play Brukan with this. 
and hit people in the face and kill them. That's an exciting card for four mana five four. Not even like the stats, not that big of a penalty for nature spell damage plus three. So lightning bolt turns into a fireball. And I really like fireballs hat, especially when they cost one mana. This card tells me like screams lethal wind condition. I just need to see the burn a little bit more burn because we lost lava burst. And then we have the Murloc Altruist, uh, which is a Firemancer Murgle-Girl. Altru Murgle? Something like that. Murgluis, yeah. After you play a Mur it's a two minute, two or three. After you play a Murloc, deal one damage to all enemies. This is better than Altruist, but it's in a tribe that kind of sucks. And we have animated broomstick in the meta. We have a lot of removal and AoE in the meta. So I'm not sure Murlocs can be good. And we also had the best Murlocs rotating. Toxin with this might even be a wild format thing. Um, we lost Angler. We lost Slurper. So I'm not sure what we play with this card. But this card is powerful. It's just for a tribe. The, the tribe limitation allows it to be this powerful. And then we have, like, nothing can stop us. It's, it's a Murloc no buff. Nothing. No fin. It's a, it's a pun. No fin. It's, if this hits multiple Murlocs, it's good. If you can uh, stack this with Diligent Notetaker, then you have a Bloodlust. Uh, and otherwise, we need Murlocs for all these Murloc synergy cards to be good, which I am sure there are plenty in the Shaman set. It's and a permanent buff. It is a permanent buff. It's a buff. permanent buff. Yes. So it's three mana. Uh, it's like Blessing of the Ancients, but Double Blessing of the Ancients. Pretty powerful buff. Uh, but again, Murlocs. I'm not sure about Murlocs. We'll have to see the rest of the set to, to, to you know draw my conclusion about this. One of the best cards in the set, other than uh, the Druid uh, Legendary. Guff. Guff, Guff, yeah. Guff. Yeah, Guff, Guff. Yeah, so is the Warlock uh, Mercenary. Uh, Tamsin, Rome. Cario's sister, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're sisters. She's an undead, though. She's uh, edgy and yeah. emo. She's a forsaken, which is a specific type of undead. She's She also has a stat line that traumatizes people. It's a three mana, one, three, like a Lucia, but she does something a little bit cooler than a Lucia. Whenever you cast a shadow spell that costs one or more, add a copy to your hand, it costs zero. So to me, it feels like almost a di uh, almost like a, a brand for spells. Like, you can double up spells very easily with this. Man, if if Power Overwhelming was still in the format, this card would be absolutely insane as a burst yeah. damage enabler, but but we'll see what, what this does. But I think this card could be really, really powerful because, you know, when things cost zero, things tend to get busted, and this isn't an enabler for that. And to talk about how the mechanics of the card work specifically, um, it's... It's a whenever effect, not an after effect. So if you have this in play, then you cast a Twisting Nether. You get a zero mana Twisting Nether before it dies. Uh, it happens right away as opposed to after the spell resolves. So it's not like Spell Burst. It happens immediately, even if Tamsin dies. Uh, and also, the spell does not get discarded end of end of turn or anything. You just keep it. You just have it. So if you play this in a Siphon Soul, you hold on to a zero mana Siphon Soul till you need it. So I think it's... I can kind of see the brand comparison. I think it's like a much improved Zentimo where you're getting extra value out of your spells, but you're not burdened like Centimo is by the state of the board at the time that you play it. But I think it's pretty likely that you're going to play this and get extra value from one or two spells, maybe, if you play like a Soul Shear or uh, Drain Soul. It's unlikely this is going to stick around for a while, so your Shadow Spells need to do some good work. But it's possible that you ha use Grimoire of Sacrifice 
which destroys a friendly minion to consecrate your opponent. Um, that you eat an Arubian egg, and then you have something else you want to eat, and you just play them both in the same turn sort of thing. Or you play this with Explosive Sheep, and you get an Immolation Aura plus Artificer kind of effect. This this card yeah. is really nutty. And, uh, and yeah, I think Tamsin could be a huge enabler for late-game Warlock strategies. And even early, like, it depends. We'll have to see what kind of spells they get introduced, but those, to me, stick out. And the other thing that sticks out to me, Hat, is um, Soulbrand and uh, Bloodshard uh, Bristleback together. Both of these cards encourage burning your own deck, right? So Soulbrand is like 4 mana, deal 5 damage to all minions, destroy a card um, in, in your deck for each one killed. And then you have Blood Shark Bristleback, which is a 3-mana, three 3-3 three, three, Lifesteal Battlecry. If your deck contains 10 or fewer cards, deal 6 damage to a minion, obviously because it's Lifesteal life also heals you. So are we headed to, like, instead of a Ticketus deck that burns the opponent's deck, are we encouraging burning your own deck? And for what purpose? This is so weird. We'll have to see the other cards, but I'm guessing there's some sort of payoff. Um, maybe a Mechathun-like payoff or burning through your deck will... We'll have to see, but this is very curious. I'm expecting something like Jack Licker's Avis, where when you burn this, add it to your hand. I don't think they will do a Silver War Golem, where when you burn this, put it in play, because it's really, really swingy. Um, I think it's more, they want some kind, they'll have some kind of enabler and some kind of payoff. And I expect at least one of those will be in the mini set and not in this set. I expect this is a theme that they will play with, where they will add something relevant in the mini set, just because it's a, it's a pretty complex thing. They'll have a pretty obvious uh, enabler in this set, and likely a uh, more complicated implementation in the mini set. Just a vibe that I that I get from how they've been making sets lately. It's also kind of difficult to to envision the win condition because if the win condition is a card, you have to be able to reacquire it, right? You can't like have like a Chef Nomi kind of card. What if you burn that and then you have nothing to win with? So maybe it's a start of game effect. I've been speculating. Uh, start of game effects have been kind of sketchy in the past. I think it's much more likely that if you burn this, put it in your hand sort of thing. We'll see, but it's it's interesting. Warrior really, really don't know anything about it. There's like two cards revealed. I don't think there is even any point to look at, at them and understand what's happening here. But obviously, uh, there's some neutrals that are interesting. Kazakus. Golem Shaper. We have Kazakas back. It's still a 4-mana 3-3. Battlecry, if your deck has no 4-cost cards, build a custom Golem. It's kind of similar to the old Kazakas, where instead of a potion, which is a spell, you have a Golem that does things. One of The first option you get is a keyword. It can have like Taunt or some other keyword. And then the second uh, choice that you get uh, in constructing it is like some ability. Draw cards, maybe deal damage, AoE, or whatever. So this card, to me... For now, feels like a rogue card in a secret passage deck because rogue doesn't have four drops, so it very, very comfortably run this. I initially thought maybe Paladin runs it until I saw Gariel. Um So we'll see if if this card is powerful enough to encourage people not to run four drops. But for me right now, with Shadow Step and that kind of thing, this feels like a rogue card. Yeah, it's a little slow for what rogue is doing right now, though, and maybe that's the direction things are going. I like the no four cost restriction because. It's relevant, but not as swingy as Kaliseth with the no two-drop thing is. The most formative turns in any game of Hearthstone turns one, two, and three. And no four-drops, you can play a two-drop in hero power, which is a pretty normal breakpoint, or double two-drop. 
uh, it's not as damaging during deck construction, but it is a real legitimate choice, especially because a lot of the good cards in the set, a lot of the legendaries, a lot of the mercenaries cost four. In fact, I think almost all of the classes have a four mana legendary. Demon Hunter, Druid, Mage, Paladin, Shaman. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see what the Rogue Mercenary is because I will say this. This card feels very good. I think it's going to be very good in Rogue. Uh, you said it's slow. I don't necessarily agree because if this card can find you AoE, which Rogue doesn't have, maybe even Life Gain, which Rogue doesn't have, then this card could be huge, kind of like a Kronks, but earlier. Um, I think this could be very powerful, especially with Shadow Step. We have Blade Master Sinmore, which we've seen before. Uh, the 4-mana uh, 1-6 Rush in the Frenzy deal damage equal to this minion's attack uh, to all enemy minions. We've said it before. It seems really crazy in Priest and Paladin. There's also going to be a, a Diamond version of it uh, to people who buy the Tavern Pass. It looks insanely good, by the way. it's People have strong opinions about it. I am looking forward to playing with it. I have yet to make a verdict on how it feels because I want to see it in play. I will say that people either really like it or really don't. I'm surprised that there are people who don't like it because I'm the one who, who's like, sign me up. Well, don't sign me up because I don't want my priest opponent to play apotheosis with it and have a reno-like effect while clearing my board. That doesn't sound fun at all. Uh, but yeah, to me, this seems like a powerful card. Um, if you run any sort of buffs and you'll consider it. Uh, maybe we, we, we look at one neutral that caught my eye as primordial protector Good. it's an eight mana six six elemental battle cry draw your highest cost spell summon a random minion with the same cost so this is like a spiteful summoner that draws your highest cost spell so the first thing i think about when i look at this is survival of the fittest and druid you ramp to this and you have a powerful play while drawing one of the most powerful cards in your deck that's a great fit in druid maybe even mage with Grand Finale, it's an elemental hat. Maybe you could, we get there. You could there. coin this out and hit Grand Finale and then make an 8-8. Eight, eight and uh, The next turn, make two 8-8s. Eight, and the turn, same turn, you make a 6-6 six, six and an 8-drop. There's a lot going on here. Or you play this. You play this on 8. You play Finale on 9 with a broomstick. You could. You come back to the board. Yeah. It seems kind of cool. This card is interesting. There's a lot going on here in that you are 100% building your deck around this card existing, and it probably makes some decks able to exist because your late game is going to be reliable. Now, I don't think there are a lot of 9-mana spells in Standard because 9 is kind of the magic number here, and I can't think of really any that we have that we're keeping. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Like for Druid, they ramp anyway. They play their survival sure, sure, on turn sure. five, so who cares, right? So uh, I I think this card has a lot of potential, and I like the fact that yeah, it's not it doesn't come down earlier like spiteful summoner, but it's not as restrictive. You can still play other spells in your deck because this tutors the highest cost one. So I really like that aspect of the card. Also, the fact that it's not too fast. Yeah, that it becomes this huge swing. Uh, but I yeah, think it's this a card, cool card will accomplish what we were hoping Polkelt would accomplish because Polkelt ended up being so efficient you just put it in aggressive decks and drop the curve. Whereas this card says, do something specific after you play this and go get it. Yep, so that's really cool. Uh, so far, we haven't seen card draw yet. So not in, like we only saw Barak. Saw Barak. Um, so I'm really hoping to see more of them. Alec promised us more card draw. So I really want to see... Card draw, especially in classes like Hunter, Shaman, Paladin, 
especially. I feel like Paladin just needs a, a like even a mediocre spell, and they're the class is pretty well positioned with what it has already from this year and what seems to be shaping up to be a good set as well here in the Forge of the Barons. But we'll see what happens. I'm really excited to see the whole set and it's it's with the way announcements have been coming out over this past month, it's Hearthstone Hanukkah. There's a little something every day. Yep. It, so, it's almost overwhelming. So Yeah, there's a lot to keep up with. You have so many articles in the tank. Um so well we'll we'll drop it here. I think how many more cards are gonna be revealed today? There's one in eight minutes. Eight minutes. Can we're we we're not gonna wait for the <laughs> no, we're not going to wait for it. We'll we'll react live in the Vicious Syndicate Discord. We should check it out. There is one, two, three, four, five, six, six more cards in the next eight hours. And oh my goodness, a lot of cards. We're not like yeah, but, but we cut the we we're not going to continue to record the podcast. We're not padding. No, we're only here to give you the content yeah, yeah. that you need. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We appreciate. It. We hope you enjoyed the Alec interview as much as we did. Uh, thanks to everyone that supports us through Vicious Syndicate Gold and Patreon. Uh, next report will be, well, as we got a ton of articles coming out, but we're done with reports for this meta podcast. We will get one done when we can. Yeah. yeah. We'll mention when the next report is, uh, probably on the theory crafting article. It's going to come out right before the expansion. Uh, if you want to talk about new cards with us and then get your uh, initial impression of the cards, uh, what we think about the cards as they come out, you can join the Vicious Syndicate Discord. It's a fun Discord. We have a channel for Forging the Barons. I uh, give a lot of hot takes there, so if you're interested, you're invited to join in into the hot take fast uh, and, and stuff. So have fun with us. Join us and have fun with us as we wait for the new expansion as well as the upcoming other things. Classic is also coming as well. Uh, so yeah, that's also exciting. And that's going to be our show. So Big thanks to Steven Sensei for our intro and outro, and we'll talk to you soon. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.